How many of you got to go to Jenny's birthday party? Man, was that fun or what? Oh, what an amazing thing. And Stephen playing those songs and then hearing Jenny sing, 99 years old, and she was still singing some of her best songs, the chicken song. If you didn't hear the chicken song, oh, it was great. So fun and good to see Jenny and boy, what a, what a time that was. Um, so I'm going to need my kids up here. Come on up. Come on up, and then you guys can have a seat. Stand back a little bit so you can see and so the people behind you can see. I have three items. We are going to learn about three concepts. Justice, mercy and grace, all right? Usually, I do a lesson that's kind of downscaled into the language of the kids. Today, I'm doing it for you. Pay attention. All right, you, my friend, are going to do me a favor. Here's the deal we're going to make. I'm going to flip this quarter Ten times. You're going to guess which way it lands. If you guess it right ten times in a row, you get this. If you miss it one time, I get to hit you in the head as hard as I can with this fly swatter. All right? Okay. What do you got? You got it right. What do you got now? Nope, you're wrong. So we just demonstrated a couple of things. (laughs) Two things. Justice, I would have hit him, right? Because he agreed to the deal. Justice would have been... So justice is getting what I deserve, whether it's right or wrong. Sometimes justice is I get the good thing, and someone's done something against me, and, and they get, I get justice when they get punished. And sometimes justice is when I get something bad, when I've done something bad, right? So justice would have been... Me swatting him in the head with the fly swatter. I did not do that. And so he also experienced mercy. Mercy. Mercy would be not getting what you do deserve. So justice is getting what you do deserve, right? Good or bad. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And now you get grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now, how many of you have ever gotten any of those, not the candy or the flyswatter, water, but how many of you have gotten justice when you get punished when you do something wrong, okay? And how many of you have seen, like, your brother does something wrong to you and he gets punished? How many of you have seen that? 
Very good, right? Because, so, oh, okay, yeah, he got punished. Uh, and I feel better because I got justice. And how many of you feel good when you do something wrong and you get punished for it? No. Uh, but that's still justice, right, if you deserved it. So are there some times when we get, some, we get punished for something we didn't do? Yeah, sometimes. And that's not really justice, is it? And, we, and that makes us angry. And, and, and it sometimes makes us angry when the people that hurt us get away with it. Okay, so that's justice. So we like justice, but only our version of it. Yeah. How about mercy? How many of you ever got mercy? Yeah, when, when you actually did deserve something and your parents said, no, okay, I'm going to let you off the hook. But you're going to remember the lesson, right? They say that. And, well, you know, if you watch... Um, if you watch uh, Christmas Story, which you'll be watching coming up, you know, uh, and, the, and the little kid said, it, we, kids know it's always better not to get caught, right? <laughs> so that's good. And we, we like mercy. But do you, do you really get a lot of grace? Did your parents actually just give you the candy when you did the bad thing? Probably not. Okay. So is grace a really good thing? Does anybody want to turn it down to get something I didn't, something really good that I did not deserve? No. Everybody wants that, right? Yeah, so that's what we get from God. Now, God is the God of all three things. And you might ask, Pastor Tim, how can that be? Go ahead, ask. Because God is God, He can do it all. And so when this life is over, he's going to administer perfect justice or mercy and grace. Which side would you rather be on? Justice was good, but not so much when it's against what we did. But mercy and grace, which side would you rather be on? There you go. And so how do we get to be sure that that's the side we're on? How, does, how do we know, instead of getting God's justice, we're going to get his mercy and grace? We accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Then we know that God's justice is still there, but it's going to be applied to somebody else, not us. And that's a wonderful thing. But sometimes we have to think about that <clears throat> to help us not do the bad thing, Right? That's what we're going to talk about today. So you guys, now, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you one more favor. Can you share that with the other kids at the potluck? Okay, very good. All right. I'm going to keep this out. <clears throat> Justice or mercy and grace? Choose. <clears throat> I probably shouldn't share this with you, but as my wife says, when you say that, you always do. And I do. Um, I prepared a sermon for this morning, and I worked on it since Monday. And I prepared my slides and got them all ready on Thursday. And then I was reminded yesterday at Jenny's party that I had forgotten to, to come up with a, an object lesson. And so I started thinking about what could I do, and I had an object lesson. So I, I, I looked around on the internet a little bit, and I found some things that triggered this, this, what you saw in my mind. 
But then God said, um, well, i got to say this, too. As I was preparing the sermon, it just didn't feel like, I don't, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't resonate with me, and I'm bothered by it, and it's bugging me. And so after I did the object lesson, then I just felt God saying, no, there's another another sermon you need to do today. That's the one you're going to get. I don't know how it's going to go. I didn't have a lot of time to put it together, but God had forever to put it together. <clears throat> there's, there's some concepts here, and we're going to be, and first of all, you'd say, oh my goodness, is it the end of the world? Tim is going to try to do how many, six, seven, eight verses? <laughs> Are you trying to get it in before the World War III starts? I <laughs> no. I don't usually go through this much, but there was in there as I was doing this lesson and thinking about my sermon... I saw that there was this, this concept in here of this, these three things, justice or mercy and grace. Basic principle of Christianity and overall human behavior. This is the question. Can we commit to a behavior that, oh, thank you, yeah, that is not compatible with our nature Can we commit to a certain level of behavior that is not compatible with who we really are inside if the reward or if the the majority of the rewards and the punishments are unseen or are far in the future? How many of you ever had a dog? I know you just got one, so you'll you'll resonate with this. When he does a little weedle thing in the in the living room, what do you do? That's right. Okay, so we call it behavior modification. There is a certain behavior that the dog does in the middle of the carpet. You would like to modify that behavior. And so you take a newspaper and you swat him on the nose and then you send him outside. Okay, and so we're going to be talking about justice, right? The dog is under a system of justice. You do what is, oh, oh, and when he does go outside, when he goes and and, and puts his nose or scratches on the door to go outside, then you give him a doggy biscuit. Okay, so we're trying to modify the dog's behavior using justice. When you do the bad thing, you get swatted on the nose and thrown outside. When you do the good thing, you get rewarded. Okay, that's justice. How do you think that works with people? If I wanted you to do something, can I modify your behavior? Can you, um, I remember potty training my, you know, one of my kids, probably my son. And we didn't spank him for going in his diaper, but we did use positive reinforcement and give him an M&M when he went on the toilet. And then we had the thumb buster chart. One of them sucked their thumb, and so we had a chart, and when they didn't suck their thumb, they got to put a penny and tape it on the thumb buster chart, which we kept, and, and that was enough positive reinforcement that he actually quit sucking his thumb. But in general, if we want people to do something outside their nature, can we rely on 
a change if, the, if there is no or there is little positive or negative consequences in this life. See, people are smarter and more sophisticated. So let's just say, as we did here, um, I, would, <clears throat> I would tell uh, Paxton, Paxton, um, here's the deal. <clears throat> Not am I only going to give you a bag of, of candy, but there's a warehouse full of candy. And you can have it. But not only am I going to hit you with this fly swatter, but it's actually a baseball bat. But none of that's going to happen until, you know, you, you turn 85. How long would that motivate him? So <clears throat> we're more sophisticated, and God tells us about mercy and grace. And he demonstrates it. And he says, I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to not give you what you deserve. And I am going to extend my grace to you and give you overwhelmingly, in fact, inconceivably wonderful things. But it's not necessarily all going to happen here. In fact, the majority of it isn't going to happen here. Are we motivated to follow Jesus when most of the rewards or the mercy that we might receive or what we're not going to get is not going to happen until after we die or Jesus returns? So in this passage, Paul is going to remind them and congratulate them for changes that are going on in their behavior to make them more Christ-like. And he's going to remind them of the mercy and the grace that they received, but he's also going to remind them of God's justice, that this is what's going to happen to those who are not followers of Christ. And we see that in the Bible in a number of places, don't we? But the, the question is, is it doing what God wants it to do? Now, there's a, there's a difference, and I, we have to say this. I have to say this up, up front now. Um, <clears throat> with behavior modification, you know, okay, if, if there is, if there is um, uh, delayed gratification or delayed punishment, um, as sophisticated and mature people, as we get older, we start to appreciate that more. I mean, how many of you, I mean, you have to raise your hand, but so I spent a lot of money and a lot of time going to college for the delayed gratification of someday it's going to get me a better job. <clears throat> Didn't, but anyway, um, oh, it, it kind of got me this one a little bit. So as sophisticated and mature human beings, we can say, okay, I, I understand delayed gratification. But is it, if it's so delayed, or, or if, the, or if the, the negative is so delayed, will it really affect how I behave? Because what I, what I know about human beings is we can say we believe something, but what do we really do? What you really do is actually saying what you actually believe, 
You might intellectually say you believe that, that, that God, you know, that Christianity is the way to go and that God's plan for my life and God's rules for my life and the way that he sets it up and how he wants me to become more like Jesus is, is a good way to go, but am I living that out? And, and is the Bible there providing that motivation? But you have to understand, apart from standard human behavior modification, which psychiatrists, psychologists use to help you get away from a, a behavior that's not good or help you be uh, more healthy. Let's say you want to lose weight. Okay, I, I want to eat more healthy, and, and I need a, a motivation. Paul's going to say, and you have to remember, it's the spirit that's doing it. So the behavior modification isn't, okay, here, I'm going to give you these motivations, and I'm going to talk about delayed gratification, I'm going to talk about delayed punishment, and I want that to motivate you so you'll work harder to change yourself to be more like Jesus. No, that's not it, because that doesn't work. But I think he is reminding us, God's reminding us in Scripture over and over, there is, there, there is this. Some, some, there is some delayed gratification, and, and it's so wonderful and, and there is some delayed punishment for those that don't do it. So there is a heaven to be attained and there is a hell to be avoided. And we can never forget that. And we're going to talk about how that should affect your life. But what you have to understand is the motivation or what God's behavior mo modification is trying to do is, is this thing. Let me explain it a little bit. You were created in the image of God. One of the things that you got, or many of the things you got, is this, is this will. God created you with the will, and God created you with an ability to think um, in, in, in abstract terms and understand concepts like grace and mercy, and, and be sophisticated and, and, and want to uh, create things and be able to accomplish things, be able to, to think you know, deeply about things and feel deeply about things. But when we sinned, it took that very powerful aspect of being created in the image of God and it turned it inwards to be selfish. And so the behavior modification isn't try hard not to be who I really am, which is this broken, selfish human being. It is this. Give up control of your life to God. That's what this motivation is supposed to do. It is not, say, just work harder to fix yourself. The motivation of this delayed gratification and delayed punishment is to remind you to give up control of your life to God so that he can change you into the image of Christ. So don't think, and we're going to see that in here a couple places, where it seems like he's saying, yeah, you need to be worthy. You need to work harder. No, he's not saying that. We see other parts of Scripture that tell us very definitively that the part that we're supposed to do is to give up control of our life to the Holy Spirit and allow him to change us. And that is a struggle. And it does require an act of your will to say, I am going to deny the flesh and let God take over my life. Then we have this thing. I mean, it's, it's happening. So is, does justice still exist in our lives? It does. So it isn't all delayed, right? I mean, God isn't saying, look, I want you to do this, and there will be no justice here. There will be no mercy here. There will be no grace here. It's all in the next life, and so I just want you to hang in there. Does he do that? No, of course not. So do we experience justice sometimes here? Yeah, and I said to the kids, we love justice when it's, you know, basically on someone else. 
We love our version of justice. And it does make us angry when, when, we, when we live in a world and it seems like the bad guys are always getting away with it. Um, Dave, you know, chasing the bad guys. Sometimes you don't always catch them, huh? And, 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 and you know, how many times do you get the call, and, yeah, this guy was broken into or this car was broken into, and they never find out who it was. And that makes us angry as people. We see it in, in, in the news. We see it in the world and all this stuff that's going on, the shooting that happened in Maine. And it, Will those ever, people ever get justice? No, they won't. They won't. But there are some things that, uh, that, that God does, and, and, and there are some things that God, because he loves us, allows us to experience here, it, whether it's um, persecution, which they did, right, the persecution, or whether it's just the consequences of our own sin that caused some sort of a trial, or whether it's living in a broken world or with other broken people and that causes bad things to happen, or, or whether it's God's discipline on our lives. So it isn't like there is never any bad things that happen, because what, what, what if that was the case? You know, what if, what if I gave the dog the treat? What if I gave the dog the treat and he just kept messing in the front of the living room? Do you think he, he would ever change? No, probably not. And so God doesn't say, look, I'm gonna, you're going to become Christians and I, I'm going to make your life just absolutely wonderful and smooth the whole time so that you never have any problems because that way you'll love me. Broken human beings take everything they can for granted at every opportunity. And so God loving us, God loving us, allows trials in our lives. But he is going to take the opportunity right here in this passage to show us that that is evidence that God loves us and that he's working. And then he's going to talk about justice and mercy and grace that's going to happen in the next phase of our existence and how that should motivate us and give us the hope if we believe it in faith to keep pushing on keep pushing on when it seems really difficult when it seems like life is not fair yeah but guess what it's going to be life is too painful guess what I'm going to take care of that. I don't seem to get anything really good out of this life. Guess what? I'm taking care of that too. Now, if we were honest, you know, and, and we are, we're people and we don't always like to look at, we, we tend to look at the bad side. Yes, there are some wonderful things that God allows us to experience in this life. There are some trials that God allows us to experience in this life. And there are times when God has mercy on us and we don't get what we deserve. But in the end, it will be accomplished perfectly. And sometimes, and it's Scripture tells us, we're going to look at this, it tells us we need you to think about those things sometimes when life is really hard. We need you to think about, this is God saying, this, we need you to think that we as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need you to keep in your mind, in the end, I am going to fix it all because right now, it doesn't seem like it. So that's what Paul's going to be doing. It's very, very interesting to see some of these things. I'm going to start, I'm going to read this, but I'm going to go back. This really doesn't make sense unless you go back a couple verses. So starting in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, 
as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. So basically saying, look, we're bragging on you guys. We see what's going on in light of bad things. There is progress being made in your life. You're loving one another more fully. You have faith and you perseverance and your faith is growing. And we just want you to know we see that and therefore we're boasting about it to other churches. Then it goes on to verse 5. And here we're going to have 5 through 8. This, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who are afflicting you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ might be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so Paul in there, and I forgot to flip it over, or somebody did for me. <clears throat> So there's three kind of separate sections of this passage. The first one is verse 5, where Paul is giving them encouragement and confidence <clears throat> to the persecuted believers. And then in verses 6 through 10, it says how it's all going to end, and there's going to be justice or there's going to be mercy and grace at the coming of Jesus. When? So he gives them a little bit of a when, and it's this one that's going to happen in the next phase of your existence. But he's telling them, and we're going to see in verse 5, We'll look at that in a second. And then in verses 11 and 12, it's a prayer for God's continued work in his people, which results in glory and honor to both Christ and to themselves at the final judgment. So there he's, he's saying, look, there is going to be justice. There is going to be mercy. And there is going to be grace. But it's the culmination of that is going to happen when Jesus comes again. All right, so... This is the evidence. So we look at verse 5. And verse 5 is a little bit different in that <clears throat> it's hard to understand. So this is the evidence of the righteous judgment. I'm going to get rid of this one. Of God. This is the evidence. So what was the evidence that he was talking about? Well, he's talking about the things that he had seen in their lives that were changed. Okay, so they were being persecuted. And yet, even though they were being persecuted, even though they were in massive trial, so that was verses um, 3 and 4, we ought to give thanks to you, God, for you, brothers, 
as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Even though they are in trial, he's saying them, this to them. I see it and I want, I want to um, commend you for it. But there's some things in here that at a first glance may seem a poor translation here. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So is he saying that they are making themselves worthy or that God's judgment is the judgment that he's going to have on others? I had a hard time understanding this particular verse, and so I I looked at a few commentaries, and guess what? There were about five different... (laughs) Oh, we we think it means this. I went back and I looked at every single one of these words up in the Greek. And let me give you what I think is a better translation. Your growth, verses 2 and 3, your growth in spite of trials is evidence which is a clear indication of the holy, just, and right verdict delivered by God so that you may be pronounced completely deserving of the kingdom of God for which you too are indeed suffering. A clear indication of God's verdict. This is not us trying to be righteous. This is God saying, I have delivered a verdict and you are righteous because you have endured, because you are going... No. You are righteous because of my son. My verdict to you is you are now righteous. That's my judgment. And it's a good judgment. And the word used there... Go back to my other notes. I had to change my notes <clears throat> this morning. Is crisis, a just verdict for or against? And so God says, "I'm delivering a verdict. You were you were tried, and you weren't found guilty, and you weren't found innocent. You were pardoned. That's my verdict. You are now righteous because you have the righteousness of Christ, who died in your place. That's my verdict." And the evidence that that is true is that you are growing even though you are in trial. You're growing in faith, you're growing in love, you're growing in perseverance. Guess what? For you, that's probably really discouraging. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just remind you that is evidence of what is in store for you later. I'm giving you evidence that I have deemed you worthy of something you don't deserve. I'm I'm not going to punish you as I'm going to punish the others. I'm not going to take you aside and give you the whipping you deserve. Instead, I'm going to pardon you, and then I'm going to give you this amazing benefits of being a child of God. That you may be considered. And, and considers like, well, okay, that's something I have to earn. It's some sort of merit. No. What it's saying is that you will be not considered but pronounced worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So he's reminding them in the midst of when things are really bad, don't forget about mercy and grace and justice. 
and how those apply to you and how the evidence of the things that are hard now or, or, or that the things that are hard now are evidence that you have been transformed from one to the other, that you're no longer an object of my wrath and my justice. You are now an object of my love, mercy, and grace. And one of the things you can take as evidence of that is that your life continues to grow, your faith continues to grow, even in the midst of the trials of this life. He's trying to give them some confidence in circumstances that would normally rob us of our confidence. Trials, instead of doing that a lot of times, if we don't have the correct perspective... And sometimes the eternal perspective, what are these trials doing? Well, it says in, in, in the Bible, we've talked about this, and we're going to look at it a little bit later. It's, it's building up things for me in glory, but it's also perfecting me now, right? In the one in James, um, you know, we're going to give joy for the trials because we're becoming mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so he's trying to, to give us the perspective so that we understand Justice, mercy, and grace the way God sees it in the bigger picture so that we don't lose hope and that we're motivated to continue. And that's what he's going to do. So in the next phase of this, he's going to tell them, actually this is back um, in, the first, in, in the first Thessalonians, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because it's also evidence that we are one of God's children. How do I know if I'm, if I'm somehow questioning my faith? How do I know? Well, God's saying, well, one of the ways you can know is that you accepted the message when it came. It says right here. Because how do I know that you, God has chosen you? Because the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And so he's telling them, how do I know that this these glorious things that you have in store for me, that I'm going to escape justice, that I'm going to get mercy and grace? Well, because you accepted the word. And so that's giving them the confidence that they need. Then it goes on. He starts to talk about this, the reality of the mercy and the grace, but also the justice that is coming when Jesus returns. Since God indeed considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his angels. And he's going to go on, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But what, what is the, one of the problems that we have with this one? <clears throat> we want justice now. Because right, what, what is he saying? He's saying, look, I'm coming, and when I come back, I'm going to make it all right. And those who've been afflicting you right now, they're going to be afflicted by me. What does God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay well, sometimes that's not really enough for us here, is it? We just don't feel right when people get away with, when people do something wrong. Now, we don't have a, too much of a problem when we get away with stuff, but it really bothers us. In fact, God, no, 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 no. I want justice now. Okay? And so we're all upset, or we, we get angry with God, or we start doubting that he's really in control. We look out at our world, and we see all of the evil and we think, how can God be a loving God? How can he really be in control and allow this? And the answer is this. Hey, look, folks, I didn't miss any of that. 
Not only did I not miss anything that anybody did, I also knew what was in their heart and in their mind. Trust me, in the end, I will repay. So how's that going to affect us? When God asks us to love our enemies, how can we do that? It's completely outside of our nature. And yet he, yet he, he doesn't ask. He says, look, uh, and not only that, I, I want you to, as you forgive others, so you will be forgiven now. Um, and so it's pretty important. So how do we reconcile that? And God says, well, hey, look, here's the deal. You're going to have to think about this two ways. In the end, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to love your enemies because in the end, if they aren't covered by grace, I'm going to take care of it. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to worry about hating your enemies. You don't need to worry about getting them back. You don't need to worry about getting even. You don't need to worry about finding justice. I'll take care of it. Because here's one of two things going to happen. I'm either going to take care of it and they're going to get every bit of punishment they deserve or I'm going to save them. And then I'm going to put you in the place of the unmerciful servant. And you really want to be there? You're going to say, well, well, yeah, you forgave me, but I don't want you to forgive them. You're going to be a, a Noah or, who, who didn't want to, or Jonah, I'm sorry, that didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid they would actually repent. I don't like those guys. They were horrible to me and my people. God says, forgive your enemy. So we have to look at this and say, there is absolute justice. I have nothing to worry about. I don't have to worry that God is going to make everything right now. He's not. Is he going to be making everything right then? Yes. Should that affect and motivate me to love others? It should. Knowing that they're either going to be taken care of by God or they're going to be taken care of by God and his grace. And really, in the end... They're offending God, not me. And so, understanding the eternal perspective on love and mercy and grace and then justice should help us to understand God's commandment to love our enemies and to love others. Okay, so we look at that and we see, boy, uh, grant relief to those. So eventually... Not, not when I want it, but when God wants it, he's going to make everything right. And those who are not covered by his mercy and grace are going to receive justice. And that's another thing that we have a problem with today, isn't it? And people question, how, if God is this loving God, how could he really send anybody to hell? How many of you have said it or heard it and believed it? God just loves everyone, and you're all children of God. We like to say that to people. Is that what the Bible says? No. God is also a God of absolute holiness, absolute justice, and absolute wrath. See, should that motivate us? It should. To recognize that there is coming a day when God in his vengeance, in his flaming fire, is going to inflict vengeance on those who do not know him. Yes, God is a God of love, and he has an unlimited amount. And there's enough for every human being that was ever created. But you're only going to experience God's love when you accept Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're going to experience God's justice. It's not good.
And so we have to understand, what would this motivate me to do? This would motivate me, now we don't save people, but we've been learning in our class on Tuesday how to share our faith. This should, God is a God of justice, there indeed is a hell. And it's not good. And so if we recognize that God's justice is completely thorough and true, what we should be doing and what we should be motivated to do is whatever God is asking us to do in his, in his plan to share the faith that we have with others so that they can become part of our family, so that they can avoid God's wrath, so that they can avoid justice and take full um, experience of his love and his mercy and his grace. The next section is more. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So what's he saying? One or two options. The options I gave you at the beginning. Mercy and grace or justice? The justice is going to be eternal separation from God. Now, I don't know exactly what hell is going to look like. I don't know exactly what heaven's going to look like, but I know this. In heaven, we will have perfect, unlimited intimacy with God. In hell, we will be separated from God, the source of everything we need to exist, the source of everything we need to be fulfilled. And it's going to happen, and it should motivate us. It should motivate us in a way that says, I don't want anybody I know to experience that. I don't want anybody I love or any human being, but God nonetheless will be just. But when he asks us to be part of the process of bringing others into the family, we should remember that this is the cost. Not that it depends on us, but that it motivates us to recognize God did this for me. I should be sharing it with others. We get into the very last part, the last two verses. And this is Paul's prayer. And to this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To this end, to what end? To the end that they recognized that there is mercy and grace available. To this end that you will continue to grow. He goes back and looks at all the things. We looked at the things in First Thessalonians as Paul had written them and commended them for for their works in love, their faithfulness, their perseverance in trial, the growing of their faith and the growing of their love in spite of very difficult circumstances. So to this end, that God will, we pray for you, that God may make you worthy. Again, this is not making yourself worthy. This is not merit. This is God once again declaring you worthy of the calling so that you may continue. And you got to read this one. You gotta find the right one. That God may fulfill 
every resolve for good works, that he will cram you full of delight and desire to continue to do what is good and be good. To this end, Paul is praying that even amidst the struggles of this life, that God will fill them over the top with a desire to continue to be faithful, to grow in love and grow in good works and grow in goodness and holiness. So that, as a result, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and that you would be glorified in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a number of places in Scripture where God tells us about the next phase. Go back to my original question. Will we actually be motivated to change a behavior that is not our nature when the majority of the benefits or the punishments are delayed. God goes back and constantly reminds us of the bigger picture to give us hope, to give us encouragement, to give us strength when the, when the things of this life seem so overwhelming, to give us the hope, yes, indeed, I will make things right. Yes, all of the bad things that you see happening, the people that are doing them are going to pay unless they're covered with my, the blood of my son and they will receive my love and mercy and grace. And all those things are there. And we're constantly reminded because as human beings, we have this tendency to take everything for granted. And if we aren't reminded once again over and over, yes, there is a different thing out there. Yes, there is an end and I'm going to make it all good. Sometimes we lose hope, don't we? And so God is giving us this gift to point out to us that, yes, things are hard now, but in the end, I've taken care of it all. So find hope, find strength, find encouragement in the fact that God is just, but he's also loving and merciful and gracious towards those who accept his son. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are a benefits. We are beneficiaries of your of your love and your mercy and your grace when we accept Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to take that for granted. We struggle through this life, Lord, and we continue to stumble over and over because we don't keep it, we don't keep it in mind. We don't, we don't keep our minds on things above. We don't look at how this all ends up. And we're so myopic and it's so easy to be have tunnel vision and, and only look at the bad and, and, and forget what it is that you've already given us, things that can never, ever be taken away. Lord, help us to live in that world so that it will affect how we live in this world. And to do that, we really need the reminder and we need your, the promises of your word and we need to know them and we need to understand them and we need to believe them in faith in order to live the way you want us to live for our benefit and your glory. So, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. To keep those things in mind, the bigger picture, as we struggle through the trying times of this life. So we thank you for all of that. We glorify you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.